greet you in Jesus' name and invite you to open your Bibles to Matthew. Is this your pen, Gail? Matthew chapter 14. And we will begin where uh, just after the beheading of John the Baptist, where when Jesus heard it in verse 13, he departed from there by boat to a deserted place by himself. But when the multitudes heard it, they followed him on foot from the cities. And when Jesus went out, he saw a great multitude, and he was moved with compassion for them and healed their sick. When it was evening, his disciples came to him, saying, This is a deserted place. The hour is already late. Send the multitudes away, that they may go into the villages and buy themselves food. But Jesus said to them, They do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. And they said to him, We have here only five loaves and two fish. He said, Bring them here to me. Then he commanded the multitudes to sit down on the grass. And he took the five loaves and the two fish. And looking up to heaven, he blessed and broke and gave the loaves to the disciples. And the disciples gave to the multitudes. So they all ate and were filled. And they took up twelve baskets full of the fragments that remained. Now those who had eaten were about 5,000 men besides women and children. One thing that uh, John, John's telling of this story adds that Matthew doesn't mention is that a lad had the, little, had the loaves and the fishes. But I start with this story because it's a dramatic and amazing miracle of Jesus. And it was influential, too. It really impressed the people. And like other miracles, it made a powerful statement of who Jesus was. The divine Son of God. I want to look at another uh, scripture also, and that's from John chapter 14. The Let Not Your Heart Be Troubled chapter. Philip, Thomas and Philip were puzzled about the way and which Jesus said he was, and about Jesus' statement that if you know me, you know the Father. And we'll start reading at verse 10 to give a little more context here. John 14, verse 10. Do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father in me? The words that I speak to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does the works. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father in me, or else believe me for the sake of the works themselves. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also, and greater works than these 
he will do because I go to my Father. And whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. If you love me, keep my commandments. And I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever. The Spirit of Truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. The verse that I want us to especially think about this morning, he said in verse 12, Most assuredly I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these he will do, because I go to my Father. What did Jesus mean? when he said that believers will do the works Christ did and even greater works than Christ did, would we be expected to feed 10,000 hungry people like Jesus fed five? There's several things we want to think about before we look at that question. One is that works do vary in their size, if you want to call it that. Some are small, unnoticed by others. Some are great and very obvious, out in front of everyone, even of thousands of people. But in the scripture it tells us that, I'm sorry, but the scriptures tell us that it is God who gives different gifts and different opportunities to different people. And we had looked at this um, earlier in 1 Corinthians in chapter 12, verses 4 through 6. There are diversities of gifts, but the same spirit. There are differences of ministries, that is, services and ways of serving. There are differences of ministries. I'm, I'm reading from the, uh, the New King James. But the same Lord. And there are diversities of activities, but it is the same God who works all in all. The King James has operations, therefore, or diversities of operations. And it is speaking of, of uh, God, that it is God who empowers and works in, in the people that he has given gifts to. And in the different services that they render. A couple of translations say in verse 6, there are different results, but the same God who produces all of them. And then after listing, uh, after that uh, verse 6 there, there's a list of different gifts. And then in verse 11, he says, but one and the same Spirit 
works all these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. So it is God who gives different gives, gifts and different opportunities. Some are small, some are large. At least they appear of different magnitudes to us. And I don't think that God would want us to be uh, overly concerned about the size of our service or fret over have we done enough or worry that we haven't done anything that is worthwhile because it's so small. An exception would be, and we need to always keep this in mind, that uh, the exception would be if we are missing opportunities because we're lazy or selfish. That would be a great concern. would be something for us to ask God about, something God would be concerned about. But gifts and service opportunities vary in their size. And number two, I believe that God is more concerned about the quality of our offering than uh, the size of our service. So size and significance maybe is more often in the eyes of men. And an example I think of is the uh, the uh, widow with two mites that came into the temple, and Jesus was sitting there with the disciples and saw this lady come in. Two mites, small coin, small value, and comparing them with the Jews, the rich Jews who paraded by the offering box and dropped in very, very obviously uh, large uh, amounts of money and clanking coins, no doubt. The widow's name was not going to get on the wall of some building for the size of her offering. But something about her offering made it stand out to Jesus beyond its size and to Jesus, it was a far greater offering than what the rich offered. Part of it may have been because it was 100%. Maybe God goes by percentages. I think there was something about her heart. And Jesus said, truly I say to you that this poor widow has put in more than all. For all these out of their abundance have put in offerings for God, but she out of her poverty put in all the livelihood that she had. Now God doesn't need anything from us in the sense that he's helpless and poor and dependent on our generosity in some way. But he is watching for the quality of the gifts that we offer and the services that we do. And that's what gives it significance. Something about the way that poor widow gave pleased God and made that gift a large one and a significant one. 
And I believe it was given out of a heart of love and devotion, a heart that was, first of all, given wholly to God. And maybe what she gave seemed small to the people around her uh, that even noticed, or to us who read about it, but large to God. Obviously, it was. He's looking at the quality of the gift. In Matthew 7, uh, toward the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said that not everybody who says, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Good works. Good things being done. By the looks of it, and by their testimony, <clears throat> to hear them describe it. But there was a serious problem with the quality. They weren't genuinely following Christ. They were disobedient. They were lawless, is what Jesus said. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, the first five verses, I want to read them. And notice uh, the Macedonians that uh, Paul was writing about here. 2 Corinthians 8, beginning at verse 1. Moreover, brethren, we make known to you the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia, that in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded in the riches of their liberality. For I bear witness that according to their ability, yes, and beyond their ability, they were freely willing, imploring us with much urgency that we would receive the gift and the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. And not only as we had hoped, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and then to us by the will of God. And in the next chapter, verse 7, uh, Paul says that in giving some guidelines for giving, he said, let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. And I believe that's the kind of giving that the uh, Macedonians did. They gave joyfully. They gave generously. They gave willingly. They were devoted to God and serving God and His servants. They first gave themselves to the Lord and then to us in verse 5. And I believe that their hearts were filled with the gratitude expressed in verse 15 of chapter 9. Thanks be to God for His indescribable gift. So God cares about the quality of the gift. 
the quality of the offering, the quality of the service, what is the heart of the giver? The little boy, the lad, in the uh, miracle story of the feeding of the 5,000, was willing. The widow was devoted, wholly devoted. The Macedonians were grateful and devoted to God. Third, wants us to remember that that God multiplies the gifts. God multiplies small gifts, even small gifts. Even a small offering that seems insignificant to us can be multiplied by God. The loaves and the fish that uh, the boy gave to Jesus fed 5,000 people plus women and children. We don't know how many people there were all together. And sometimes we do something or are involved in something we have no idea at the beginning how, how it may grow or how all it may be used. I, I came across something in my notes here recently. There was a, uh, after the... Um, after the uh, terrorist attack on New York City and the U.S., the World Trade Center attacked in, on 9-11-2001. Cam wanted to, uh, thought it'd be a great idea to have a track to distribute on the street in New York City, thinking that people in time of trauma and disaster would be more likely to uh, be open to the gospel. So they asked Christian Light whether we would develop something. So several of us were involved and we you know, prayed about it and thought about how, how do we address uh, people that are in, uh, have just gone through something so awful as that. So I wrote a little draft and uh, sent it to others. We got feedback. There were rewrites and edits, all of it in kind of a, a rush, but putting together our small time and talents on this thing, what little we had, and it got printed and distributed. I don't know how many were given out along with a CD, uh, to people on the streets in New York. Then the following year, Cam decided they wanted that rewritten so that it would be suitable to give out after disasters where they were doing relief work and so on. And uh, so that was done. Then back in March of 2011, there was an earthquake, you may remember, uh, off the coast of Japan. It was actually a pretty powerful earthquake registered nine on the Richter scale. And it caused a tsunami that hit the coast of Japan, obliterating a couple of coastal towns 
and uh, about 8,000 people were killed. Not nearly as many as the Sumatra tsunami in 04, but a lot of people. There was a nuclear reactor on the coast, near the coast, and uh, it was damaged and leaked radiation. So it was quite a catastrophe for Japan, and CAM went in to try to do some relief work, and also, again, as they do, uh, with a burden for spiritual needs. And they decided to translate this track. Uh, one day life was normal into Japanese. And the group they were working with recommended that 200,000 be printed. And they were soon running out. Within three months, they had distributed two million of that little track. And a third million was being printed and they had approval to print the fourth million. So just a little work that God took. And, you know, I don't know what happened to it. I don't know what, what it was whether it was uh, printed beyond that. I don't know anything about results or those things we just leave with God. But just doing a little something that was... Uh, an opportunity to offer something small. In 1 Corinthians 3, Paul writes in verse 6, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then neither who, he who plants is anything nor he who waters, but God who gives the increase. Now he who plants and he who waters are one, and each one will receive his own reward according to his own labor. Which makes me think also of Isaiah 55, and where it says, For as the rain comes down and the snow from heaven, and do not return there, but water the earth, and make it bring forth and bud, that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater. So shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please, and it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. But it needs, God uses people to plant and people to water. God gives the increase. There was a little incident that happened at our fall festival literature stand uh, this last October. Dan, my brother Dan, brought some Bibles and had them there on the free table, remember? And one of the Bibles that he brought was a, uh, a French-Arabic parallel Bible a small Bible, and he lay it there on the table, donating it to the free stand. And a little while later, I saw an elderly lady there looking through the things on there, and I went over to uh, chat with her, and I introduced to her this French-Arabic Bible and as a conversation starter. 
and opened it up, and Dan had explained to me how to start at the back. And do you read from uh, left to right and start from the bottom of the page up, or at least it started top of, from from right to left? Right. Yeah. Just backwards from the way we do. And then there was French in the other column, and I was explaining to her about this backwards way of doing it. And I, her face was kind of lighting up, and I thought I was getting through, and she was impressed. And uh, then she said, you know, she has a son, who is, a grandson, who is dyslexic. In fact, she's sitting right over there at a table eating a snack. And somehow in her mind, she connected reading Arabic and dyslexia. And so I... I thought, I'm not getting very far here explaining how this works or what this actually is. So I just, I didn't uh, try to explain anymore. But uh, a little bit later, I saw her at the table again with her grandson. And when they left, they were carrying with them that French-Arabic Bible. Well, I, I think she thought maybe it would somehow be useful to that boy with this problem, and my first thought was, oh no, a lost cause there, what what good will that ever do? And Dan and I talked about it later, but, you know, what might God do with that Bible? That might be a little, a vehicle to get that Bible somewhere, who knows where it may end up, and when some needy person comes in contact with that Bible, someone who just knows Arabic, or maybe French, and finds the living Word of God. You know, uh, marvelous things like that have happened. And uh, I thought about that Bible since and prayed for its mission. But it's, it was, it was a, a little offering. It was a big offering given to that table. And God can multiply. God can use it. Fourth point, no gift or service done for Christ and in the spirit of Christ and in devotion to Christ is lost. No gift is lost. No gift is worthless. Mark 9, 41, For whoever gives you a cup of water to drink in my name because you belong to Christ, Assuredly, I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. In Matthew 10, 42, And whoever gives one of these little ones only a cup of cold water, in the name of a disciple, I assuredly, assuredly I say to you, he shall by no means lose his reward. You know, we live in a world of uh, great need. There's no secret. No surprise to any of us. The news is often awful, and we learn about situations around us. We hear about things. We know people. Just so much need. And in Matthew 14, the disciples saw a need. They saw 5,000 men 
plus women and children at the end of the day, and they knew they were hungry, they saw a need. There was hunger. And they had a, they were concerned about it. That was good. But they had a practical solution, too. And that was, Jesus, let's send these people to the villages so they can buy bread. But Jesus had another plan, a better plan. There was a willing boy who offered his small lunch. And there was the power of God. And 5,000 men, plus women and children, were fed. And that brings us back to um, this question we were looking at earlier from John 14. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also, and greater works than these he will do, because I go to my Father. I believe this is not so much speaking about great miracles, though it may include miracles. But I believe it is God at work, which is a miracle. God at work in the hearts of His people to feed hungry ones and serve other people in the world around us. Wycliffe uh, Commentary says, the works are not greater in quality, but greater in extent. So the Incarnation brought Jesus to earth where He took on the form of a servant. We just uh, thought about that over the Christmas season. And He took on the limitations of a human. And when He returned to heaven and rejoined the Father, those limitations were removed and He was restored to His kingly state and took on a role of intercessor and advocate for us. And He sent the Holy Spirit to empower, to sanctify uh, God's people to make them holy and to equip us to do God's work. So, in verse 13, he, told, he said that we can pray. We need to pray. We need to realize how needy we are. We can't do this work, and we can't multiply our work, and we can't do our work in a way that touches the heart of another person. And we obey. And that affects who we are, what we are, and what we are becoming. We receive His Spirit. We accept His Spirit's guidance. We accept His Spirit's conviction and His continual work to grow us into what He wants us to be. He said in chapter 16 of John, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send Him to you. And He has. And now He is working in His people and through His people all around the globe. Not just a tiny country in the Mideast. 
God gives diversity of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are differences of ministries and services, ways of serving, but the same Lord. And there are different results, different activities, different things happen. But it is God who works all in all. So when the uh, when Jesus said in Acts 1.8, But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. He promised the Holy Spirit. And he said that we will be witnesses. And this emphasizes to me, to us, that we must be, we must, there is being before there is doing. To be effective in the kingdom work, we must be before we do. He didn't say, you shall be witnessing. He said, you shall be witnesses. And that says something about who we are as God's people. It says something about the quality of the servant. Redeemed and sanctified, useful and involved in the kingdom work. And so it is the church doing the work of God. Many humble, willing servants of Christ faithfully doing their part, faithfully following Christ, and becoming and being what we are called to be. So we feed the 5,000 as a body, as part of the church, distributing the bread to the multitude, one person and one opportunity at a time as God gives us burden and opportunities wherever we are. We feed others as Christ's servants. As we stay current with God and in tune with Him, and as we in His name and for love of Him and devotion to Him, faithfully, cheerfully doing what's before us to do, whether it's fixing breakfast, a glass of water for a thirsty child, preparing and teaching a Sunday school class, tacking trim around a window on a construction job, a smile and a greeting to a clerk or to the person behind you in line, a casserole for someone, a card, a phone call. Maybe it will be a mission trip or a time in mission service. And there is talking about individuals and individual offerings here and the, the body working together. Uh, there is a place for vision and planning and programs for mission boards and publishing houses and relief organizations. But even there, it's the day-to-day doing what is before us to do. There are hindrances to this work. And if we think about this calling 
and there's little interest and little desire, little alertness for opportunities, little availability, little willingness, then we may be uh, part of a mission field. God would want to speak to us. And I'm, I need to grow in all those areas myself. But as we are faithful, as we do what is before us to do, and again, we can't do everything either. need to say that. We can't do everything or can't feel obligated to do everything. But pray for wisdom, for strength, and do what God has before us to do. We can plant, we can water, and get God gives the increase. And God receives the glory. And the 5,000, the 10,000, the 4 million, the many millions can be fed as all of God's people follow Christ.